The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. You know, I know it's the end of the world, Lenny. No, tell me. Because everything's already been done, you know? Every kind of music's been tried, every government's been tried, you know? Every fucking hairstyle, fucking bubblegum flavors, you know, breakfast cereal, every type of fucking, you know what I mean? What are we gonna do, man? How are we gonna make another thousand years, for Christ's sake? I'm telling you, man, it's over. We used it all up. I had to put my funniest clip at the top of the show. That kind of movie. <laughs> Welcome to Exposition Street, celebrating geek movies and all their splendid, splend, splendiferous, man, it's my line and I can't even get it right. Splendiferous glory. Let's do that. Presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. Thank you very much for joining us for our Prismatic Filmcast. My name is Eric. I will be your host today. I've got some excellent peoples in the house, and I'm going to introduce them here in just a brief moment. Once again, if you'd like to be part of the show, recommend a movie, drop us a line, uh, let us read it on the air. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. It's a great way to do that. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Or, of course, you can drop by our Discord server and uh, do some damage there, and we'll be happy to talk to you there and possibly on the show as well. We'll do a little of everything. I've got a nice crew of nice peoples that say nice things about you all every chance they get. And here they are. Over here, don't be spending the time I'm talking, thinking about what you're going to say next. It's Richard. I, I always think about what I'm going to say next, except for now. Yeah. How many different branches do you think of at any given time? Usually a dozen, give yeah, or take. That's right. so, wait, so does that mean you, you think and then you think about the thing that would be the other thing that you would say or what would and happen? And then I worry about the thing I didn't say. And then I worry about apologizing for things I didn't even say. Oh, wow. I do that too. See, I've done something similar, but it was like, you know, thinkception. So it's like three or four deep. <laughs> But it's all one brand. Then you have to do the spinning <laughs> tops. Yeah. Um, fuck that, sir. Uh, one man's mundane and desperate existence is another man's technicolor. It's Vanessa. Of course. You always say that. And you are in technicolor, so that's fair. I don't always say that. I normally answer the question. Ah. Uh, <laughs> in the form of a question? It's of course. <laughs> Paranoia is just reality on a finer scale. It's Jason. Yeah. I should have filled this whole thing with Philo quotes. <laughs> oh, God. That's a good one. And finally, he is your main connection to the switchboard of the soul. It's the kid. You know, I need one of those machines to record my memories so that I can play them back later and remember them. Same. <laughs> yeah, but for you, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like experiencing it for the first time again. It wouldn't be like you were remembering anything. That's Dude. exactly my point, actually. That would be amazing. Wow. You have to remember that you have the clips. Is it bad I want to watch memories of people eating desserts? <laughs> no, Richard. There's nothing wrong with that. No, that to me seems like a really light black market effect here. All I of think the that's pleasure, all mm -hmm. none of the carbs. Yep, yep. Get to experience, because that's the best part of it, right, is the eating. I mean, after that, it's all downhill. I mean, really, really. We're doing strange days today. Okay, so, <laughs> little disclaimer. This movie was very 90s. Um, little disclaimer? If you haven't seen it, don't listen no. to this show right now. That's, don't, don't, did you say don't see it? Wow, Jason. <laughs> get, get the acid out early. <sighs> oh, it's not done. I've been burned. <laughs> um, if, if, if that's a burn, you're going to need a hazmat suit <laughs> soon, sir. <laughs> 
I could take it. I could take it. Uh, this came out October 13th in 1995, went to number eight at the box office uh, with $3.6 million. In context, uh, seven was number one in its fourth week at $8.6 million. A rated R runtime of two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, a little on the lengthy side. Hmm. A former cop turned street hustler accidentally uncovers conspiracy in Los Angeles in 1999. I like that description. It tells you fuck all about this movie. <laughs> It tells you the absolute bare minimum to give you absolutely no description whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. So uh, when I say very 90s, um, and I, I feel like I could predict at some level based on almost nothing but our ages across the board here in the show about what kinds of reactions we're going to see. And it would vary a little bit. I mean, like, Jason isn't a whole lot younger than me, but consequentially, he was younger, say, in the 90s when it mattered. Kid and I are much closer to the same age. J uh, Richard's got a few years on us. Vanessa wasn't born until what? Late 80s? 88. Yeah. 88. <laughs> so, I mean, she was a kid at this point. It wouldn't. Have, you know, the point is that there is so much about this film, so much, that is just based purely on what was happening in the world in the mid-90s. I, I shit you not. This, if if you don't have any sense of that, if you don't have any interest in that, it is never going to be a film you understand. That being said, the themes that it touches on seem pretty timeless, and I think we're going to get into some of that. And the seems timeless because, in a lot of ways, they shouldn't be. And yet, here we are. <laughs> and that's. Um, I will warn you guys. Remember a reminder: we don't get political. But that doesn't mean Fine. the movies don't. So uh, you might might come up a little bit. Perfectly understandable. We just need to make sure and wash our hands of our opinions on the matter and focus on the movie. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, this was directed by Catherine Bigelow. Uh, Catherine was uh, really well known at the time for movies like Point Break, which she did in 91. She did the Wild Palms TV series, which had a very cyberpunky kind of quality to it. Um, she later did like K-19, The Widowmaker, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty. She's had a lot of really uh, consequential films in her career. Uh, she was married to James Cameron at this point, and uh, James Cameron uh, was the writer. He was he, he wrote the script. He originally oh. had wrote a treatment. <laughs> Did I see a reaction from you, kid? Yes. Yes, you just reminded me of something. Okay. Um, I was just going to share this real quick. I wasn't sure when I'd fit it in, but you just... Uh, so I had no idea anything about this movie. I didn't know it existed when we sat down to watch it. Watched the whole movie. Uh, and it's got some some nice little spins and flips in there. Get to the end of the movie and the credits start to roll. And I, I think I see James Cameron's name. So I look closer. It's written by James Cameron. Mm -hmm. It's directed and produced by James Cameron. Mm -mm. And I look over at Julie and I was like, this... This is a James Cameron movie. And she's not like, directed. I did not see that. Not directed. Sorry. Directed by his I did wife. not see that no. coming. And uh, I said, yeah, that was that was the biggest twist in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the story there is because uh, this was like the same year that True Lies came out. You know, he did T2 in 91 and Titanic in 97. He was just, this was a really busy era for him. And uh, he first conceived this story like in 86, he, he, according to the trivia I was reading, but shelved it due to his commitment to other projects. I'm not sure what this story would have looked like in 1986. I recently rewatched the original Terminator movie, and 
it reminded me of some things about, say, the late 80s that I hadn't really remembered, and that's all thanks to James Cameron. I mean, in, in a particular stylized way, if you will. And again, that was in L.A., I think, or San Francisco or something like that. So, I mean, you know, California. But uh, he, he originally conceived this in the 80s, uh, shelved it due to other commitments, revived the idea when Catherine wanted to see it come to life after he had helped her do a rewrite on Point Break. Then Cameron handed what he called a scriptment to her, which was a cross between a script and a story treatment. He had originally was supposed to just do a treatment, and was like, yeah, the hell with this. I'm gonna write it. So he basically wrote a scriptment, I guess, and uh, had to leave due to other commitments. The screenplay was finished by uh, Jay Cox, who was mainly responsible for the dialogue in the film. Uh, Jay J- Cox, uh, J- J- Cox, Jay Cox. It said Jay Cox in my in my uh, uh, in my trivia, but it says John Cox on my notes, so I don't know which it is. Have to look it up. Um, responsible for stuff like Age of Innocence, Gangs of New York. I mean, he did some well-known films as well in that era. But uh, yeah, it was uh, very much a Cameron conception, consequently. And I've got to admit, there's some fingerprints there you can feel, but he didn't direct the movie, and I think I could definitely tell that. Uh, to me, it didn't feel like something he directed. Now, that being said, Catherine Bigelow does a fine job in Point Break was one of my favorite movies of its era. So, and we haven't, I don't think we've talked about doing Point Break on the show. I'm not sure how well it's aged. You know, I mean, beyond dead president masks or dead presidents that some of our generation, younger generation wouldn't even recognize. But, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Graham Revelle did the music. We talked about him last week because he did the music for The Saint. Um, he's also responsible for like, The Craft, Tank Girl. We've had those on the show. He did the music for The Crow, Spawn, Pitch Black, Titan AE, Tomb Raider. A lot of stuff we talked about. Uh, the music in this, by the way, <laughs> fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I love the music in this movie. And again, yeah, drenched in the era. Uh, both the the score and the choices, the musical choices of all the artists that were in this, some of whom were artists I really admired. Uh, Testament was uh, had a song in here towards the end, and that was a band that, like at the time, I was like, "Who's who's even heard of these guys? This is great!" Because they were very underground thrash from the '80s, you know. Uh, of course, uh, Kid. I don't know if you recognized Skunk and Nancy in there towards the end. I did not actually. Yeah, um, she was. They were on stage. She was banging her head, had the white cross painted on her face. Um, oh, bald black I, lady. I did see remember. Her. I did not recognize her, but I she did was see singing. Her. Uh, uh, they're selling Jesus, which was like yeah. one of the first songs on that on that album that came out that year. That I can dream was on, and this is where we first came across them. We were watching this. You've seen this before, by the way. I talked That's to you about this. Amazing. We were, we were living together at the time. Uh, this is like I said. This was the mid '90s, right? '96 or so. Um, movie came out in '95. We were watching it on like video or whatever. We didn't see. I didn't see this in the theater, and uh, we were watching it. And our friend uh, Gabe was watching it with us. And he was so just blown away by that that little part of the movie with Skunk and Nancy that he looked up, found out who the band was, bought the album, and brought it over. And that's how we got into them. Wow! So, I should have uh, I should have been wired and making a clip for that. Been <laughs> <laughs> a fun way to. I liked clips. all of the music except for when Faith was singing. Interesting. She, she was not a great singer. Well, she. I mean, that, and that was really Juliette Lewis singing. I get that. Yeah, that's. I thought that I was an like interesting it. choice. Now, I'll be. I'll. I'll be honest with you, <laughs> and I've. <laughs> In all fairness to Juliette Lewis fans out there, I don't understand the fascination at all (laughs) of all of the talent in this movie. And there are some really talented people in this movie. The cast has some A-listers from the period. 
or or a lister soon after this for the period. But um, really, really great talent. I'm going to get into that here in a minute. I do not get why people loved her so much. She was in several movies, and I get that she was in edgier, more interesting movies. But oh my god, she bugged me when she was on screen every time she opened her mouth. Uh, so I guess I should talk about the star first. Maybe the the main main our main guy, the guy whose story we're following, that is kind of like the guy who's our guide through the story. Because Lenny was played by Ralph Fiennes. And did anybody not recognize Ralph? Because this was a little different look for him with the hair and everything. I did, did not-, not recognize him until the name rolled at the credits. And I was like, that was him? Oh, yeah. He was younger. You know. I recognized the face. I couldn't have begun to tell you who it was. Do you know now? Yes. Oh, okay. I was going to say, otherwise, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Because nobody misses one of these roles, obviously. Uh, he was in Schindler's List before this. So he, he was in uh, one big movie before this in 93. And then he was John Steed in The Avengers in 98. And we're talking about the movie based on the TV series with John not Steed. Not the superheroes. Yeah, not, yeah. Right. Not that Avengers. Um, and then he was, in, he was in Red Dragon. He was in the Clash of the Titans remake. He was in Skyfall. Of course, he was Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> The English Patient was like a couple years after this was a really big hit for him. Not what I saw, but there you go. Uh, this was a really interesting role. I'm not sure he would have done if he hadn't been cutting his teeth on it. You know, if this was this was pretty early in his career. But um, having seen the depth of his talent and other roles over the years, it probably gives me a more better appreciation for what he went through with this character than I would have gotten just watching it without knowing. Because Lenny was... I think well acted, but he was kind of one dimensional most of the movie. And even when he wasn't, it was hard. It was hard to get the depth out of there because I don't feel that's where the tone of movie of the movie was trying to focus. It was kind of like um, there's a a really kind of interesting predicament when it comes to writing. There's so many authors, so many writers, and this would apply obviously to TV and movies as well, particularly sinful in movies. And we've touched on this a little bit in the past. But character development is key. Lenny is our primary character in the story. It's not that he lacks conflict in the story. He's got nothing but conflict. In the story, but he isn't really learning anything from it until the end when it's not that he's learning something consequential so much as he's having the reality of the situation thrown in his face and has no choice but to deal. That's not really character development. That particular bit of writing seemed kind of weak. Now, again, James Cameron, and Cameron isn't known for creating depth of character that's meant to have huge arcs through the story. There are exceptions. One of them was the Terminator in Terminator 2, I guess. <laughs> who had arguably more development in that role than any of the other characters in that movie. But uh, there you have it. And he was matched in this with Angela Bassett. And at the time, again, not a particularly well-known actress. Uh, I, Vampire in Brooklyn came out the same year. Like Without looking, I couldn't tell you which came first. I do remember seeing that one when it came out. Uh, I loved her character, though. In this? Yeah. Mace? Oh, yeah. Mace yeah, was awesome. Absolutely loved her. And she elevated the performance of anybody she was in a scene with. Absolutely. No surprise. Um, we just recently saw her actually in A Green Lantern, where she played Amanda Waller, which was unfortunate movie choice for her, but there you go. Um, mm. And, you know, everybody knows who she is if you're in the geek world now because of her, you know, turn as Queen Ramonda in the Black Panther movies, in which a she's... movie I know, haven't seen. Well, yeah, Black you Panther, really the second Black Panther, uh, one of the Avengers movies. Yeah, she, or Civil War, maybe, I don't remember. But she's, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She has so much, especially as an, um, as an aging actress, she has so much gravity, and it comes across very nicely on screen. She was much younger here, but I thought Mace was a cool character. She was, uh, and she, she did have development. She did have an arc of sorts, 
again, she kind of started not too far from where she ended, but where she ended. Her arc was as big as his was. Yes, there was hardly anything there. Um, And I think that was all I had on her. And then Juliette Lewis, who we talked about a little bit, played Faith. Yeah, and she did all her own vocals for the film. (laughs) that's unfortunate yeah okay i will i will submit my opinion but i think it's fair and you may or may not disagree her singing was better than her dialogue that doesn't take much exactly my point (laughs) (laughs) like one of the notes that i took was on the first song that we heard her sing and it was i get it you can hardly wait Now, I actually rather enjoyed her uh, singing performances, so that's that's kind of unfortunate that it hit you so bad. But I also, again, it felt like something that at the time really would have spoken to me. There was definitely a shift in music happening in the 90s. That's uh, true. That was really, I think, encapsulated well in a lot of the music that was presented here. And they went through some trouble to bring a lot of music into this movie. There were a lot of bands. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of music in the cuts and in the transitions and in the scenes and the background of different some different genres and different blends I thought was neat you know but um Michael Wincott playing bluesy guitar was some of my favorite but I don't know if it was actually him of course cuz <laughs> I don't think so but, um that was great um speaking of whom he played Philo <clears throat> now did you guys recognize him no the actor no we've had him on the show I think once he played Rochefort oh no yeah Rochefort in the three musketeers the, the cyclops oh yeah uh, this was his heyday. Around this period, he also he played um, Guy of Gisborne in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which we haven't done on the show yet, of course. Right. The sheriff's cousin. <laughs> Why a spoon, but it is streaming cousin? now if we want to do it, just saying. Oh, some of we want to. I don't know if that's a universal we, but God, that movie would be great to bang on for a little bit. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good and bad and good and bad. And, uh, and a beloved movie of my, because it came out when I was in high school. So, you know, right there in that period. Um, and then he was top dollar, the villain in The Crow. You remember The Crow? That's right. I remember I thought a he lot about familiar. The Crow. I don't remember the villain. <laughs> yep. He was, the, he was, he was almost the as forgettable in The Crow as he was in this. He was yeah. the gang leader who had the weird sister who did the witchcrafty stuff. And, and yeah, The Crow. That's I remember the sister. I don't remember him. One of my wife's favorite movies. So I've seen it more than a time right there. But, uh, but I thought he was, I like him. I love his voice. He's got a deep kind of gravelly voice. He didn't really do it much here. And his accent was slightly around here because he's not he's canadian he's not like english or whatever they had him trying to do here but yeah whatever and then um tom sizemore was the other kind of lead and uh i tom kind of usually plays the same character in most things he does but he does it well uh true romance came out a couple years before this um wyatt earp was the year before this natural born killers he was in natural born killers had a fight scene with juliette lewis in that one and uh saving private ryan was a few years after this. I mean, this was a heavy period for him. Um, this character was pretty much like a lot of the characters he plays. I was not really surprised, I think, even when I saw this the first time, that he turned out to be a bad guy. It, there, it was projected <laughs> so yeah. hard. Yeah, I think it was intended to be. But but, but some, of the, uh, some of the clues to exactly what his role was were kind of like subtly inserted. But I think how much subtlety that had really depended a lot on I mean, maybe it are. showed up more subtle in the 90s. <laughs> oh, and I guess to give Juliette Lewis her due, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape came out a couple years before this. Like I said, she was in some really good movies. Um, doesn't Natural make Born. her performance any better. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Was Natural that Born a Killers. Movie? Natural Born Killers was probably her best role because the movie was odd enough that it didn't hurt it. I haven't seen Natural Born Killers. I have um, seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It's one of then. my favorite movies. Mm, it also had some good music in it. And from, <laughs> and from Dust Till Dawn was like the year after this when she was in that, which I don't know if you guys, have you guys seen From Dust Till Dawn? Is, that, is this a group for that? I'm just kind of curious. I have not. 
I have. I have. It's you been have. a long time, but okay. I have. Very violent, so it may not be the right group. To, I mean, excessively, I mean. Yeah. You know, but... <laughs> it, it is very violent, though, yes. But at George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino as the leads, it was kind of a weird uh, chemistry going on in that film, and it was fun. But From Dust Till Dawn is one of those movies that... Remember we talked about... What, what movie was it that you had us watch last year, uh, Rich? Um, oh, uh, Strange... Something Wild. Something Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how we talked about how it was kind of like two movies. Like, there was like a very clear kind of switch at yeah. one point where it shifted completely when, like, Ray Liotta went psycho. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn has that. But it does it with zero apologies. It's like, it seems like a movie about some people trying to get away and trying to evade the cops and cross the border to Mexico. And then it turns into a vampire flick. Halfway through. I mean, literally. Which is why I've seen it. <laughs> literally nothing about the vampires before go. that and nothing about the uh, gangsters, the, the, the criminals after that. It's just like, wow, two different movies just kind of yep. in the middle. And Clooney had a cool ass tattoo. That's all I really remember. But Oh, and Cheech Marin had an amazing lit monologue that would be not safe for even this show, I think. <laughs> mm. uh, a couple other honorable mentions. The uh, cops who were such ass hats in this. I don't know if you guys recognize the young Vincent D'Onofrio, Miss Steckler. I don't know who it is. Julie obviously did, because as soon as she saw him on the screen, she's like, oh my God, he's so young. Oh, and he was younger than this, of course, when he played Private Pile in Full Metal Jacket, which is where he kind of got his start. I don't think that's where she recognized him. Okay, I yeah. didn't recognize him at all. Um, he was, I mean, he was Orson Welles in Ed Wood. He was Edgar in Men in Black. Mm. <laughs> Were the air suit? That's what she said, and I was like, "No, there's no way. He doesn't even sound like him." Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was in the Thirteenth Floor. He was, he was in King the Pan in the Marvel. I haven't even gotten to that. Or... He was Wilson Fisk in Daredevil, which was one of my absolute my favorite role of his, hands down. And he was so like, good. "Oh wow!" And he was in Jurassic World uh, as well, he, and got killed thankfully because he was kind of a pain in the ass. But it was a good movie, a uh, good role for him. I loved Kingpin though. I'm so glad he resurfaced. <laughs> Later in the Marvel stuff, and he's going to be in more Marvel stuff in Daredevil Reborn, which is coming out soon. Super yeah, excited! And about I, it. I have to, I have to agree with you on that because um, I was extremely impressed with his presentation, and that was coming from someone who was prepared to start a rant because I was always such a fan of the character in the comics, mm -hmm. and how dare they not translate him exactly the oh, same? And, but. and Fisk, I mean, because you expect Kingpin to be translated in such kind of a broad manner, he's he's like a yeah. a hammer. You know, mm -hmm. and to have him come across with all that depth, yeah. it's hard to imagine very many other people that would fit the, the look and tone of the character who could also bring all of that pain to the table. Yeah. In such a believable and, and real way. D'Onofrio was I, amazing. I honestly have to compare it to uh, the way I felt about the portrayal of uh, Lex Luthor in Smallville. Oh, yeah. My, uh, Rosamund. Yeah transformed my appreciation for the character. Now, of course, before and that, Lex course, wasn't really much of a character, Gene Hackney aside. Well, you know? I, yeah, no, I, I had always I had always really uh, been a fan of him in the comics because of his intellect. You know, the fact that he dares to stand up and do the mm -hmm. stuff he does, but he was not a sympathetic villain no. when I was reading comic books. I would imagine. And yeah. in Smallville, that's exactly what he became. Which is, I mean, we were talking about like the 2000s. I mean, the early yeah. aughts. We're, we're talking about an era when sympathetic villainy, which I think we've talked about kind of the trend. I don't know if it was yeah, on here or on Metagamers, but we talked about it before. And it's, it's kind of tired in a lot of ways now, but it started God, during that so period, tired. I think. 
you know, it became, <laughs> it became not you, not you're tired. <laughs> the trope is tired. Stay with me, kid. Stay with me. Overused? No, I am tired. Oh no, but... I, it's tired. It's it's a it's a bad trope. They need to stop giving me sympathetic villains. I want to hate people. Right. Me too. Well, this movie was good for that then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Nobody lovable but Mace. <laughs> Well, how'd you love the names, too? I I actually had to stop and look at Julia, and I said, this is the point at which this becomes one of those movies in which there is only one person I want to see alive at the end. (laughs) Well, you got your wish. Well, unfortunately, there were other people still alive at the end, but by then I didn't hate them quite as much, so it was okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, The names, the character names in this, Nero, Mace, Faith, Max, Philo, Jericho. I mean, how great is that? Tick. I liked Tick. Tick. What a great one. I didn't even get him down. I should have gotten him. I didn't really recognize it. Well, he looked familiar to me. I know I've seen him somewhere before, other than looking kind of like Ringo Starr. <laughs> I thought it was more Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono. There's a, that's what I was trying to think of. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. The, the hair really did it. But the face, too. The, something the about nose. The, the nose. That schnoz. Which is why I thought of Ringo, yeah. Uh, he was in the 93 Super Mario Brothers movie. Wow, we should do that one. That's timely with the new one coming out. Sadly, oh, the new one actually yeah. looks like it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to that. My my son and I are probably going to go see that one because eh, we went and saw um, Dungeons and Dragons on Among Thieves. The family did the other day and they had a big trailer for the Super Mario Brothers before. I was like, ah, it's the first time I've seen like, a real trailer for it. This, this is pretty banging. I could do with this. I thought the whole Chris Pratt thing as Mario was going to ruin the whole thing for me, and it wasn't in the trailer, so maybe he didn't speak much? I don't remember. We'll see. I think they're keeping him out of the trailers because they know it's polarizing. (laughs) And once we get to the movie, it's going to be all Chris Pratt all day, and it's going to just be infuriating. Speaking of the cops, you guys recognize the other cop, William Fitchner? He looked familiar, but that's not who I thought he looked like. He was in Virtuosity, he was in Heat, he was in Contact, he was in Armageddon, he was in Pearl Harbor, Equilibrium, Ultraviolet, he's been in a lot of stuff. And he's a douche in every single one of them. Pretty well, much. he wasn't a douche in Ultraviolet. No, yeah, he was He was actually kind of cool in Ultraviolet, he was a good guy. Have you guys, oh gosh, yeah, Vanessa's seen it, obviously, Did you, the rest of you know that movie? Kid probably has. I don't have a clue what Ultraviolet is. It's Ooh. awesome. I can't remember if I watched it or not, but it's not really my niche. You, it is. Um, you no, know, I mean, no, I'm not disagreeing. I'm trying to decide whether it's something you might enjoy based on what I remember in the movie. Because, uh, you know, I'm kind of starting to get a feel for that, having done this show with you for a couple years, Rich, but I also I still don't know. It's it's very comic book. You surprise me sometimes. You I've really been told I would enjoy it, but I It's don't violent know. comic booky though. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I always end up going, eh, I'm all right. But not... I mean, it's not, not like ultraviolet. It's not like blood spurts everywhere. Not ultraviolet. Like it's <laughs> it is ultraviolet. It is ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Int. Uh, int. <laughs> yeah, int. Sorry, you're right. Well, also, you got to realize, as a natural redhead, ultraviolet scares me. <laughs> hey. um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, seriously, it's it's not like blood exception. everywhere. It is violent, but it's not bloody. <laughs> If that um, makes sense. Yeah, that was Mila in that, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Was it Mila? Little yeah. mm, gosh. Oh. We were just talking about... Um, oh, no, we weren't talking about Fifth Element. Yeah, we were talking about Fifth Element because we're talking about uh, our next movie. Yeah, that'll be fun. Not because it's Fifth Element. Don't get your don't get excited, guys, if you're listening. Don't. <laughs> yeah, no. We're not doing no. Fifth Element next week because, you know, <laughs> we, we can only stroke a I movie so sleep. hard on the show. <laughs> Let's see. William Fitchner, though. Um, I liked him in Armageddon. He was kind of a douche there, but he kind of got cool at the end-ish. 
you know, once you stop trying to fight the main characters. But and here's and here's the thing though. I'm and I I see blank looks, but I realize I mentioned a Michael Bay film, and I realize that that sometimes generates blank looks from people that like movies. <laughs> I happen to like Michael Bay films, <laughs> which I realize makes me kind of a shill. <laughs> but we all knew that going into this. Five stars. Uh, let's see. Um, and Glenn Plummer, I made sure to mention him because I, I mean, I, I didn't specifically recognize him, but I thought he was really good. He was Jericho, and I liked his performance in this. And, and again, he was in well, a whole what minute? Uh, oh, yeah, but it was powerful. Well, and little clips. He was and stuff. good. It was powerful. I thought he was True. great. Uh, he was in Menace to Society. He was in South Central. He was in Showgirls. Uh, he was in both Speed movies. Different characters, by the way. Uh, Day After Tomorrow. He was in Saw Two. And he was a regular on ER. He was a sheriff on Sons of Anarchy. He's been working. But if you're going to be in a film for one minute, yeah, make the most of it. And he did. That's fair. I was trying to figure out where I knew him from. Sons of See, Anarchy. I was, I was going to say, I, I, I made sure I slipped that in there so that if you didn't know him from anywhere else I mentioned, you'd probably catch that one. Uh, I don't I don't know if he was in a ton of it or anything, but he was he was in there at least a handful of episodes, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. $42 million budget, roughly. Made $31,000 its opening weekend. Seven, $7.9 million gross. Um, obviously, it wasn't Mikita for a sequel anyway, so <laughs> that was it. Ladies and gentlemen, lady and gentlemen, uh, strange days. I want to say up front, I love you all. I appreciate you putting yourselves through this, and I apologize if you hate me for it now. I do want to say I did not remember having seen it. The moment I started watching it and the first scene started playing out and I'm like, oh, I've seen that. Isn't it the one that ends in the, yeah, mm -hmm. I could remember the beginning clearly. I could remember the end clearly. And then all the stuff in the middle was a fun journey. Well, the stuff in the middle is mostly just it. an adrenaline fueled run. So it's kind of like. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did. I ended up remembering let's, it. Let's like, recap. I see this. Lenny goes into the club. Lenny gets thrown out of the club. Lenny goes into the club. Lenny goes to, <laughs> Lenny goes to a different club. Lenny gets thrown out of that club. I mean, you know. Well, that's and a then lot once of they brought the tech up. I mean, the whole premise of the movie is this super intense person doing the worst possible thing you could do with that tech. Yeah, that's going to leave a memory. <laughs> that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, Justin just happened to walk into the room right as we were getting to that scene, and Justin's just like, zero stars, why are you watching this? Hmm. I'm just like, oh, well, it makes more sense when you see what's leading up to it, at least. That's fair. So, uh, Jason, have yeah. you seen this before at all? I have not. Okay. So, and I was really, really man. glad that fate worked out the way it was, and my parents were not home. <laughs> I think that was a good idea. We talked about that a little bit, and I saw some discussion on the chat about like, whether or not that was a good idea. Friendly? And it just worked out that I watched it when they weren't around, and I'm so glad. The rape warning is not to be ignored. And it's funny because um, I misremembered it too. Uh, when we were talking about it and you guys looked up triggers like you do, and I'm glad you do. And we talked about it, you know, um, because because rape is a real thing. Um, like kid, for example, there are things going on like rape or suicide doesn't usually like to watch around his wife. Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's there's things that people really are bothered by. And if you guys if you guys look at the notes of the information on something and go, I don't think I want to put myself through this. You know, I'm not here to make your day worse. I'm talking about movies I haven't seen in 20 years, so it's not like I'm going to have a really strong sense of what this is like right now. So I'm not going to be offended by you guys. That's why everybody has veto power. Everybody on the show has veto power. We don't uh, we don't watch anything that we aren't all willing to try. And uh, we've had the conversation before where if somebody gets into it and decides, nope, 
and nope's right out of it, <laughs> you can call me and say, well, we're not doing this one. And we'll say, okay, let's come up with something else for next week. And we can do that. Absolutely could do that. I don't know if we ever have, but we talked about it a time or two. And it's I think nice that's to know the options there. I think there was once that we did and someone started watching it like the next day that we were just like, nope. Yeah, it, <laughs> it could just be. immediately came up with something and that we had still had a week to plan, but it was could be. We've, like we've had so day. many like last minute changes for reasons that were far beyond our control that it's hard to actually mm. remember. Yeah. But I mean, that's a thing. It's just something you gotta deal with in the streaming world nowadays. Movies come and go. And if they're not widely available, I mean, our first, our first, our mandate is if they're not widely available on streaming, we don't necessarily want to do them because our listeners may not have a chance to check out the movie before they listen to the show. But to be fair, with the instability of the streaming schedule and stuff, it kind of comes down to whether or not we have the ability to watch it, and we'll just go right. from there. <laughs> so we have uh, we have yet to come up with a movie where I went, you know what? I will just spend twenty dollars to for everybody to rent a copy. Um, although I think Richard has actually offered once or twice. <laughs> If necessary, if like, necessary. I'll rent it for movie. you all. Uh, you know, Didn't but, we um, all rent something once? The Bill Murray possible, Christmas maybe. thing? Oh, Scrooge? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I, th I think we rented Scrooge. So we it is one that's famously like on streaming for a minute and then goes away after a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very plausible. And since we try to plan ahead, sometimes we put shows, uh, you know, put, put shows together, and then by the time we get to them, it is really an option. They're not streaming anymore. They're gone. Yeah. So it's always the thing. So um, some technical stuff. Uh, director uh, Catherine Bigelow found that no existing camera system could accomplish the shots necessary for the POV sequences. This again was in the mid '90s. So the research division of Lightstorm Entertainment, which was James Cameron's company, uh, spent a full year designing and fabricating a special camera for the production. Uh, weighing only eight pounds, the 35 millimeter camera literally fit in the palm of the hand and featured interchangeable lenses, remote uh, follow focus, and video assist, which is necessary since the camera had no viewfinder. Uh, it was then mounted on a steady cam style portable rig, which gave the camera stability and mobility similar to the human eye. Oh, and I mean, that's nice. it's something considering, like, you know, like the time. And it's funny now that wouldn't seem like such a big deal. But this has also been Cameron's thing throughout his career. He's one of those directors, you know, the same stuff that um, like Lucas was so you know famous for when he made when he made Star Wars was inventing a lot of the technology as he went. James Cameron's been doing this all his career up to and including Avatar, the Avatar movies he does now. He's he, the when he made Avatar, he was he invented new cameras to catch the three D you know uh, movie experience that he wanted. So I mean, this is what he does, and this was like right before he did it while he was working on Titanic, which of course was a massive undertaking in effects and camera work at the time. But, it was a sinker. So yeah, uh, so the point of view action sequences required well over a year of preparation, planning, and careful rehearsal before they could be shot. That was kind of interesting. Uh, James also did extensive editing work, especially on the final action sequences, but he could not be credited because he was not in the editor's union. He did join the union before making Titanic, so he could be credited on the editor in his own film later on. But he did do, right. I think, most or all the editing on Titanic. So, um, uh, the, the usual litany of um, absolutely unrealistic uh, possible leading men, according to IMDb. We'll get uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger out of the way since he's always the first on every one of these lists for some stupid reason. Why? <laughs> Just, it was well, he was in Eraser. He was in... This had way too much dialogue for Nero, for Schwarzenegger, I think. Sorry. <laughs> for, for, for Schwarzenegger for Schwarzenegger uh, Denzel Washington that would have been interesting uh, Michael I Keaton I can see that one at least 
could see Keaton also. Uh, Tom Cruise, Jeff Bridges, yeah. <laughs> Mel Gibson. This is the yeah. same year Braveheart came out. Like, that would even have been an option. Uh, Bruce Willis. Well, it would have made the movie interesting. Yeah, Bruce Willis huh. would have been okay. Uh, Andy Garcia, who was actually, I think, was one of the people who was actually up for the role first. Uh, Nicolas Cage, because, of course, Nick Cage and everything. That's kind of a thing. I'm um, pretty sure he's on every list ever made of could have been this guy. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. No. This was like, I'm trying to remember Patrick Swayze in the mid-90s. Yeah, a ghost was like 90 or so, maybe. Something I remember what he looks like in a dress. Um, yeah, this would have been around that period, right? Yeah, too uncommon. Oh, it was Swayze, wasn't it? it? Yeah. <laughs> John Travolta. Interestingly enough, Catherine Bigelow um, saw Pulp Fiction and wanted Travolta for this part. So uh, that would have been different. I don't know that he would have done any better than Ralph Fiennes did with the, with what he was given. I but don't think so. but but I don't know that he would have done a whole lot worse either. I mean, he was. This was kind of during his. Yeah, Pulp Fiction was his re, re, resurgence, rebirth. You know, his his second shot at a career. So he was looking for stuff at the time. We talked about doing uh, what was it? Broken Arrow? Wasn't he yes. in, in Broken Arrow? I think is a bad guy. John Travolta. Yes. I like Travolta as a bad guy. I think he's an amazing villain. Um, better as a bad guy than as a good guy because he's more convincing in my experience. He's because uh, he likes to play over the top. And over the top works well for bad guys. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, he was great in The Punisher, the movie that. Um, oh God, yes. God, what was the, what was the actor's he, name? Thomas Jane uh, played the Punisher. He was so good in that. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Travolta was good, and he was good. What's the other thing that immediately? I just I just had it, and it just went away. It went, oh, face off. Yeah, well, that's because he was a good guy, part bad guy, good guy, you know, whatever. Um, and that's one I'm sure we'll never do because you guys are only going to handle so much Nick Cage before you knock me off a ledge. <laughs> I can't with that movie. That's Oh, is that one of your I, I can't? I stopped watching it, yeah. <laughs> I loved uh, it's It's actually one of my favorite Nick Cage performances. But it's because he and Travolta clearly worked together to develop the quirks of characters so that when they traded, they could represent each other's characters and stuff I, and it was well done but uh i but i also like nick cage which i know is not a popular opinion in this world actually um although I mean, the unbearable way has to, some good roles the unbearable way to massive talent if you haven't seen it check it out it's on streaming somewhere right now it's fucking good uh let's see uh bill paxton which bill paxton could do anything he would have been fine sean penn which would have been weird <sighs> mid 90s sean penn wouldn't have been that good i think Penn got better as he got older. I think Sean's a fine actor now, but he did not start that way. Neither um, did anybody in this movie. Um, I had to think about that. That's probably true. Uh, Dennis Quaid. Dennis oh. Quaid was getting old by then, I think. Starting to. And Kurt Russell <laughs> as Lenny. Now, I can kind of see that. Kurt Russell could do kind of the fast-talking thing if he wants to. He would have been more gritty cop. A little more, yeah. But it would have been hard to do, hard to do the play in week kind of character like this yeah it's actually one of my favorite little bits of this with him is because he because he comes off as very kind of soft um you know all mouth kind of character that's that's really lenny right there and then he's like, definitely yeah. a face yeah and then the the one scene where he like uh you know comes up it comes up against the the bodyguard in the hotel towards the end and like you know starts to do the whole you know face mouth thing and then just doesn't even give him a chance to answer and like clocks him real fast it's like oh yeah he used to be a cop we forgot <laughs> because it wasn't important. Yeah. Um, that's about it for that. So a little foreshadowing. I wanted to make sure and mention, and I think um, this is what Vanessa was, some of the stuff she was alluding to earlier. Uh, Mace notes, whoever sent Lenny the rape tape knew who he was and wanted to show off. And we know Max created and sent it. 
So, of course, that's absolutely true. Um, Max mentioned suffering a bullet, quote, floating in the back of his brain pan that led to his retirement from the police. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Okay. Um, In a later scene, when Tick was analyzing the blackjack clip, he noted that the killer had recorded some sort of trauma to the brain. Again, minor clue. Uh, Another kind of subtle detail. When Max comments about Lenny's tie, when we're first introduced to him, he holds his hands up and frames the tie like a director holding up their hands to frame a shot. And then in the recording of Iris' death, he does the same thing. That one I did catch. I thought that was really good. Um, I don't think there was anything else I caught that was a blatant foreshadow. Uh, I thought as far as the writing of Max went... They did kind of a neat job. Um, it was never really in question that he could be the bad guy, but it wasn't set up to blatantly tell you that either. It seems you know, he so was his buddy. obvious to me. As soon as it was revealed, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, think, it. I think part of the reason it seems obvious is because the formula makes sense. It's almost right. a Chekhov's gun, if you will. He's a Chekhov's yeah. max. It's like, why is he in this movie at all, the way they're bringing him in, as kind of yeah. the side guy that comes into a scene and then leaves? And yeah. then is like the whole, I'm following Faith. Yeah, please do that. You know, I was like, what? <laughs> I still know? felt the journey was, was worth it. I mean, there was it was a good journey to get there as far as that type of detective, find the, find the person who did the thing type movie. Worth it is really strong wording. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't imagine yeah. you'd feel that way anyway, Vanessa. <laughs> Vanessa. Uh, Janessa. I don't, I don't know what to call you guys. Um, yeah, Wow. So, uh, so Richard's kind of on my side. A kid, I have no idea where he falls on this right now. Um, <laughs> pretty sure I know where Jason and Vanessa fall. Oh, I don't think you do. Oh, excellent. I, well, I think I know which. I, I think you know which side I fall in. But since you're always there, that's not a huge. No, I'm joking. I'm messing with you. <laughs> but I do spend a lot of time in this side of the pool. There you go. Well put, sir. I mean, well, sort of well. Not the best dialogue ever, but I appreciate your effort. Um, that's about everything I've got as far as trivia and just kind of general info. Anybody got anything else they wanted to mention before we move to like the next thing? Um, I talked about the music. I love the music. Um, the effects I thought were really good, but then again, this is the mid-90s, so they weren't doing CGI and shit, so everything was practical. I didn't like the super high beepy transitions that they had between the people and the, the visual, whatever, logging in. Oh. Oh, the really? high beeps, what? like, messed with me. I didn't and like the, it. They, when they were doing kind of the phasing kind yeah. of video. The, phasing, the video that. didn't bother me. The noise did. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that harkens back to 90s computer tech, though. I, I know, and I didn't like it then either. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Wait, you weren't using computer tech in the 90s? Oh, yes, I was. Oh, yeah, she was. I'm I'm pretty sure. Because I know when when our children started using it, kid. (laughs) Oh, you you make a valid point. So, uh, and, you know, Nira was born in 95. She was pretty technically conversant by the time she was around the age Vanessa would have been in that period. Uh, Let's see. I do. I was thinking of, I was thinking of my own childhood because technology didn't come into my grasp until I was most of the way out of uh, fifth grade. Well, it was time that I was five years old. My dad would try disconnecting the keyboard and mouse monitor and everything to try to keep me off of the computer. And I'd already figured out how to hook it back up to get back on it. (laughs) That was a five-year-old. Kid, kid, when you were a kid, though, wasn't technology of the devil? 
So, I mean, you really could... Well, no, just a lot of the ways people used it was. Uh, it's the the same technology thing. itself wasn't same the problem. We didn't have any compute. We didn't have home computers until I was 10 or 12 or something like that. Which actually is kind of um, early stuff then. You know, if you're, you must be talking about early stuff because, I mean, I want to say I didn't have a home computer until I was like 10 or 12 or so, and you got like five oh. years on me. Well, in 82, I had like an Atari 800XL. One of the, yeah, yeah, Atari made those, yeah. Another thing I ever knew about Atari back then was the 2600 that they, you know, which might not have been on 82. Oh, well, we had that, too, that. But that was different. <laughs> I did. I heard they made computers. My friends told me. I knew a person with a Commodore. I played a lot of adventure and some sort of egg drop thing. Yeah, it all looked the same. Mine was uh, Zar's Revenge, actually. Oh, that's Zar Yar. 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 Yeah, Yar's Revenge. Yeah, now he's going to have to get double the revenge. Thanks. I also liked some of the sequences... And I mean, I, I mean, I could go through clips and see if it brings some of this up, but uh, the clips were hard in this movie. One, a lot of the dialogue had the kind of the same tone to it. Not that it wasn't yeah. dynamic necessarily, but the tone of the movie was pervasive and was carried by the dialogue in a lot of ways. Yeah. So when you take all the extra sequences of music and action and running and being thrown out of clubs and punching, all that stuff out of there, all you have is kind of the same tone of dialogue. So clip after clip after clip is going to, you guys are going to be trying to hang yourself in the effing closet before I'm done. Yeah. So we're going to take the clips one at a time and make sure we survive to the end of the show. I think but, I described it as like a sci-fi film noir. Oh, very point. much noir. Very noir. It's very cyberpunk. It's got that feel, which is which is going to be that that one tone. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's powerful. I mean, that was that was the juice that this was, you know, injected with, and that's fine, whatever. Uh, it was intense. So so I can't, you know, typically I, I might play some clips and like it would bring up some stuff. We talk about that scene, about that scene. No, the clips aren't going to bring that stuff up. <laughs> Please shoot me now. No, I, I need you guys to come up with stuff to talk about, okay? Because we have to have a little space between so we don't shoot ourselves. So the beginning of the movie, like one of the first things they say was they were talking about how bad the economy is and how the world's just gone to absolute shit and gas is over three bucks a gallon. <laughs> In the back of my head, I'm going, man, their world went a lot deeper before they got to three bucks a gallon than what actually happened. <laughs> well, but when you adjust for inflation, it was ridiculously high for the time. Oh, hells yeah. Are you sure about that? Because I was like... driving school bus across country and paying an obscene amount of money for diesel. Yes. See, this was 95, right? Was, or this was supposed to be 1999. So 99, 99 yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I was pretty sure we made it into the new millennium before gas finally actually plateaued around $3 a gallon. When I was, when oh, yeah. I was driving... It was that Iraq it, war, yeah. Well, okay, but diesel was more expensive because I was driving in 96. Mm -hmm. Yeah, diesel used to be. Um, when I started working in uh, convenience stores out of high school in the early 90s, 93, 94, 95, somewhere in there, uh, gas was still not broken a dollar. You know, it was... It was. I remember when we were changing remember the signs when they to a dollar. Had to ret yeah, they had to retcon all the signs to add the one dollar mm -hmm. on it, and then they couldn't go under because they just hardwired a one at the beginning, uh, which was yeah the way to go at that point. Um, also, at the time, cigarettes were like I want to say Marlboro, like name brand cigarettes were like a dollar ninety nine a pack. I'm going to mm -hmm. stop smoking if cigarettes ever go above two dollars a pack. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I did not. Anybody know what they are now? <laughs> A lot. Seven or eight. 
it seems insane. Depends on where you go, but yeah, it's almost ten dollars a pack. Insane. Um, see another thing that was fairly close to the beginning. Twenty twenty five second female president was a prediction that they had made at the beginning of the movie. Oops. Interesting. They were a little off. <laughs> yeah, haven't gotten there yet, have we? Nope. We had a black president. I thought we were doing good at that point. Um, yeah. yeah, the future looked so bright and shiny for a minute. <laughs> yep, that's why I'm not touching this one. Uh, and there was a lot of... Okay, so um, one thing that's interesting to note, um, and I actually did mean to look this up so I could make a more accurate note of it uh, before I bring it up. Let's see. Uh, the LA riots were in 92. So that was around the time they were working on this movie. So uh kind of gives you some idea what they were tapping into as far as that goes. Racial um, violence was so supercharged in the 90s after the Rodney King stuff. And uh, I mean, yeah. obviously, we were, we were fairly insulated from it in the Midwest, but it's not not a far cry, you know, to see what the what their, their you know, their uh, representation of that here. And then the disparity in the way it continued to inflame and create um, all the anti-police sentiment that's part of the, you know, core messaging for the characters here, all the distrust, you know. But it also looked like a very, I mean, they were also living in a very, I, I realize it might have been just, I don't know, L.A. in like on the last day of the millennium. But it, when she was driving through town in her um, armored limousine, <laughs> you know, you felt a little like we were kind of edging on the decay of civilization already. You know, this dystopia yeah. was already no, no, happening. They were there. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, oh, I've got to go, um, I've got to go shopping. Somebody get me the AK, you know, that, that feel. Everybody had a gun. Um, Certainly seen that way. Yeah, again, yeah, it was like, and, and the, the 2K thing, yeah. Uh, I got clips, of course. Let's uh, talk about some of the tech here, because I got some stuff that does that. Because it was fun. Technobab was always fun. Squids. Let me get this straight. You're going to pay me $200 to put on a hairnet and bang some beautiful babe. I don't know. I got to think about it. Let's get you wired up. I hope this axle grease you got on your hair doesn't screw up the squid receptors. What is all this squid shit anyway? Superconducting quantum interference device, squid. The receptor rate I'm putting on your head sends a signal to the recorder. We call it being wired, but there's no wire. Now you gotta keep the recorder close, like five, six feet away max, in your jacket pocket by the bed or wherever you're gonna close escrow. Know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. Got a half hour of tape so it can give me some lead into the main event. But don't wait too long because I don't want to be going out for popcorn. Also gives you some kind of perspective on the um, the high, uh, high highbrow character of our primary protagonist. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And I can't decide whether in the context of introducing him in the story if Lenny was supposed to be lovable. He wasn't. He was kind but was of he supposed to be fractured. To be? Yeah, I was trying he to, was maybe, supposed to be fractured. Broken? Yeah. Good broken, call. I yeah. guess. Yes. And in that particular clip, did anyone else notice that the wig that went on top of the squid device looked nothing like the dude's hair? That yep. was also showing because he had really long hair. It's the curly hair coming out underneath the straight wig. Which exactly. It, was, it looked yeah. terrible. Like, no one's supposed to possibly pick any that. of that up. No, of course not. Well, of course, whoever's experiencing the recording isn't seeing him. <laughs> yes, but if he's if he's doing this on any sort of down low, like if the girl doesn't know what's happening, they will. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, which is obviously a, pl- a possibility. Although when he had the the recording with the two girls that were together, it was clear that they were both in on the. Yes, yeah. but there was yeah. no girl around when he was mentioning all these contract details True. with this guy. But it it's still you have to wonder how many time how many times you get through several bad recordings and you're sitting here thinking, man, these recordings are fun, but it always feels like I'm wearing a bad wig. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Pure, uncut. A, v- a virgin brain. Good. Good. Well, we're going to start you off right, okay? Just tell me. Just save us some time. Tell me what you know. Just what I've read, that uh, the technology was developed for the feds mm-hmm. to replace the body wire, and now it's gone black market. That's right. So this conversation is not taking place, okay? You're damn right it's not. Good. Good. So do I uh, get the deck from you? I'll set you up. I'll get you a deck at my car since my thing is the software. Clips, right? Clips, right. Now listen, I want you to know what, what we're talking about here, okay? This is not like TV only better. This is life. It's a piece of somebody's life. It's pure and uncut. It's straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there. You're doing it. You're seeing it. You're hearing it. You're feeling it. So just kind of a, a chance to uh, create some exposition for the uh, viewer at this point about what exactly it is we're experiencing. We've seen a taste already because the movie starts off pretty strong with it. But yeah. yeah. But to be clear, it's not just what you see. Of course, the test clip is an 18-year-old girl showering. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Because that um, totally makes sense. It, it does, given the kind of marketing he's doing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he's a drug pusher. <laughs> That's what this is. It's yeah. It's, you know... The modern narcotic, right? Postmodern narcotic. Um, I don't know. And there's a thing there. I don't know how clear it is at the beginning that what you're seeing isn't just seeing, right? That the yeah. experience mm-hmm. is holistic in terms of your senses. Which becomes important later. Yeah, it's vital, obviously, to the story. So they had to make sure and establish that with no frills, I think, up front. It's what makes horrible horrific. (laughs) And boy, did they find a way to do it. And that was obviously the linchpin of this construct, right? It's like, wow, using this tech and abusing it in this certain way, we just thought of a way to really make... Torture people. Terrible, terrible (laughs) invasion... Just yeah, worse. Just all, all with the use of your imagination. All with you just imagining the implication, right? You know, oh, I, I, I got. Um, I mean, I didn't get anything too that's, dramatic, but I got some of that. That's why, as soon as I saw the tech, I was like sitting here going, "Oh, I remember this movie," because you, you don't forget that. Unfortunately. <sighs> Uh, Jericho, the other kind of thing going on here. And I forgot to turn off the thing again. Here we go. When the drugs I smoked and the guns I told both came from your ship. But I never had a dream, cuz. My life is a nightmare. America's been my boogeyman for 400 years. You know how I feel. Are you asking me how I feel? We felt Jericho. We listened to him. The LAPD is a military force turned against its own people. We live in a police state. The mayor and the councilmen sit up in their offices with their social programs that don't work. They're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But a new day Come on. 2K is coming. 
so powerful. I love that line, the rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> so good. Yep. Um, a lot of the best lines in the movie are all throwaway lines like that. Like I said, Philo had like half a dozen of them. Uh, not worth kind of clipping because they were so brief. It was like, mm. I guess I could have, you know, used them as, you know, projections. Yeah. Made, yeah, yeah, made a montage. I should have done that. Made a, made a Philo montage, right? I mean, I haven't done that you since. You could have gotten his um, entire lines. All of them. Oh, gosh. Now I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Although it would have made a long show even longer. Oh, but that geez. did show that people were definitely looking for an escape and, and had a reason to look for an escape if they could. And again, the parallels, the things that are still, I mean, there's a lot of people online that talking about this movie now that are like, wow, how much this stuff is still relevant now or is relevant yeah. again and police corruption and militarization again, of the yeah, police a, is a big a thing. Phrase. Rebe- <laughs> yeah, right? Because it's never gone away. If you sweep um, it under the rug, it'll be there when the rug moves. <laughs> it's anything like me. My rug doesn't move until I move out of wherever the rug got moved into. That's deep, Vanessa. That's very deep. <laughs> I think uh, you overworked the analogy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of deep, here's some Philo. Come to peddle me some clips for old time's sake, or just making a few extra bucks for the holidays. You're not a client anymore, Gan. I wouldn't sell you the sweat off a dead dog's balls. I've already got everything I need from you, Minnie. Thanks. Cut it out, Philo. Too bad about your guy Jericho, huh? Tough break. Last your golden goose. Try showing some respect sometime. Man was an important artist. Important for your label, which no doubt is why you're in mourning. Well, don't worry. His records will sell out now he's dead, and you'll make out. Always do. Faith, I talked to you for one second. It's not a good idea right now, Lenny. I just got to talk to you for one second, okay? About what? I think that'd be between me and Faith, wouldn't it? Funny, Lenny, I don't feel anything between you and Faith. You see, that's your problem, Lenny. You assume too much. You assume there's something, but there's nothing. You assume that... You have a life. In fact, you're just peddling pieces of other people's lives and the broken hearts of your own. See, he had such good lines. Uh, I really think that uh, the the way they kind of, I mean, because they introduce his um, obsession with Faith very quickly. Uh-huh. Right there at the beginning of the movie. And when they move into here, it's part of it is a way to clarify that that obsession crosses the line into the here and now. And not just in a quiet, because he seems like such a watcher, right? Like somebody who's just like doing this from like afar at this point. He's just the creep who's like going through his home movies or whatever. When it's literally, he's still trying to be involved in her life, still trying to interfere or intervene or, or, you know, has to be there when she's performing. And that was the thing that got me is when he gets thrown out of the club the first time and he turns around and goes right back in. I'm like, why are you doing this? Oh yeah, I forgot. Because Faith's going to sing and that's important. Except it's Juliet Lois singing, so... And she's not singing well. <laughs> I'm just going to keep battering that one in. It's fine. That's, yeah, you're legit. You're entitled to your opinion, and it's not entirely wrong. Um, and and uh, the band was good, though. <laughs> the, the musicians yeah. did very well, as long as you don't consider a voice an instrument. <laughs> and I do. Let's see... Uh, most people do. It makes sense to, but just not here. She had like one little line in the middle of that thing I just played, and it still made me wince. One, just let it go. And it's probably her best line in the movie. I don't know. One of her best lines in the movie because it, it didn't have enough time to feel fake. I don't know. Ugh, drives me nuts. Um, appetite? To, to be fair, her stuff wouldn't really well, feel I lost real. my appetite. 
Sorry, what's that? Uh, to be f- to be fair, her stuff didn't feel real because she still had a thing for Lenny. That's yeah. acting, Vanessa. I don't know <laughs> if that's really fair to attribute to Julia Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand where this is coming from. You're confusing me right now. Here, Gotta do what have, I'm a good no at. Prize. <laughs> have a no prize. <laughs> appetite. Well, I lost my appetite for about a year. <laughs> right. Sure. Want to take a look? Hell no, I don't fool with that. You all right? Yeah. You okay? No, not really. All right. Let's work it. I can't. Come on, Lenny. You used to be good at this shit. Let's play it down. What's the perp doing? You used to be a fucking cop, okay? Now that is a fucking murder. I didn't want to get into the the unpleasantness of what they were talking about necessarily, so I stopped the clip there. But ah, the reason I clipped that, interestingly enough, despite the fact that I feel a kind of embarrassed about it now after Vanessa's perspective on the film, <laughs> is because I wanted to highlight what I felt was a really strong example of credible quality acting from three people in the scene together. Um, yeah, I can't help but watch Vanessa's eyes and I shouldn't be. <laughs> um, because Ralph's performance was spot on. You know, like I said, Lenny wasn't changing much. He was one note, but he was consistent and consistently vibrant in the character that he was. Um, when uh, Max, like I said, you know, Tom Sizemore does this kind of stuff really well. I mean, it's what he does. And he does it well. He played off, you know, we know he's the bad guy. And there's probably maybe even an inkling of that in this, in the film at this point. The feeling yep. that there's something questionable there. And, that's and then his reaction. Right. So is his reaction like overwrought, but he isn't overly dramatic. He doesn't acting like it's like somebody trying to play it off as something either. It's, it's, it's compelling. And you can feel, I think, the tension in the way he portrays the character there. And then when he offers, he says, you want to look? And she's, I don't play with it. The way, the way Angela delivered that line when she was walking by and the camera kept moving between the three of them fluidly. It was yeah. brilliantly done on screen. Angela Bassett. I liked Angela Bassett. She Aww. is awesome. You're so sweet. Vanessa liked something about my movie, guys. <laughs> we were supposed to have at least one. <laughs> she didn't save it for the end of the show. I'm, well, she'll probably say it again. Won't have anything else to talk about. Uh, cops? Cops? No, they'll never nail this guy. The second they walk in the room. What about what they see walking in? Dead hooker. Handcuffs. Penetration. And cops? are lazy and they know nobody gives a shit about a dead hooker. I mean, they're roadkill, right? So they'll come in, they'll take some pictures and they'll make some jokes. They'll just shrug it off like it's, it's a random kill. It's a trick gone wrong. It's the kind you never saw. But that doesn't add, does it? No, it doesn't. No, because it doesn't. Iris said she knew somebody was after her. That is not random. If they get me, I know. She said they, I mean, she, if they get me, they, which means this whole like, random sex killer thing is bullshit, which means somebody whacked her. I, it just you know it just goes on it's not important the the idea that um it's kind of a staple of noir anyway in a lot of ways that the cops really aren't on top of them. I mean they usually aren't necessarily the the antithesis necessarily in in, in this type of uh, mode but in this case you know Lenny being a former cop knew you know this is the way they're gonna handle it it's not gonna be worth a shit and that keeps this uh mystery firmly in the hands of our protagonists uh-huh. So it's an important piece of information. Um, but like I said, I mean, really, that could have been boiled down, I think, to 10 words or less. 
but he did fine. Again, you know, he was he was doing what he does. It's all good. Um, oh no, it's not. <laughs> oh god you guys are trying trying so trying yeah yeah trying is a good word the tape you had to see it i see the world opening up and swallowing us all yeah i know thanks are you there meet me at ticks in half an hour and lenny don't get pulled over okay you know what this tape could do if it got out? Yeah, I got a pretty good idea. We will find an owl. See it. The LAPD just flat out executed Jericho one. Jesus. Jesus. Maybe they ought to see. Maybe. I love the way they dovetailed the different elements of the story together with this hook, because the tape was obviously the point for the very beginning of the movie with Iris and the things she wanted to get to Lenny. And then it didn't come around to, I mean, we knew it would, obviously, but it didn't come around to it until this late in the film. And it was almost easy to forget about because it's such a long film. It took so long to get there. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the way that tied into when you get to see it, when you get to see it from Iris's perspective, when when um, Mace puts on the rig and get to see Jericho, and then you start, you suddenly have that. They did not telegraph that necessarily. I loved that it, and it tied together these two things that didn't seem like they were really connected, except thematically, the mystery and kind of the world building they were doing, the backdrop to create all the tension in the realm, in the world. Uh, and that's where they they kind of dovetailed it all together, tied it all together in a way that uh, I didn't see coming. I really enjoyed how it uh, affected the story. Uh, let's see. Real life. This is your life right here, right now. It's real time. You hear me? Real time. Time to get real, not playback. You understand me? She doesn't love you. Maybe she did once, I don't know, but she doesn't now. These are used emotions. It's time to trade them in. Memories were meant to fade, Lenny. They're designed that way for a reason. You ever been in love with someone who didn't return that love? Yeah, Lenny. I nicely understand it. Gee, that that didn't possibly say how the movie was going to end at all. No one could have possibly predicted they were gonna kiss. You know, it's funny as I I I assumed it would, and then at the very end, the kind of the the fake out on that actually caught me when he walks away and she's getting in the car and it looks like oh that's a done deal like you know what that feels realistic whatever yeah and then like (laughs) it sinks in like to lenny you see it sink in but you hated the movie so you're not gonna have a good opinion anyway and you also hate love stories and always feel they're forced and and unnecessary and it was unnecessary but that scene with angela bassett was my favorite scene with her she was good yeah. But, you know, again, it was genuine. It felt real. Nobody knew who this woman really was yet. Man, Stella got her groove back like two years after this. So it's like Angela like, Bassett wasn't on the radar. But no, just the way that she was talking to Liddy, because he spent the entire first two hours, hours of this movie living in the past. Oh, yeah. Like he, off- like he always did. Like he always did. I, I love the way they handled introducing to us where she came into contact with Lenny and how that how that became relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, the the flashback with her uh, and her kid and all that. And I was like, you know, that actually is really, 
that's fairly compelling. Yes. But I was glad they introduced it kind of early like they did, because otherwise it was really hard to embrace the idea that she'd give a shit about this guy at all. Like, Lenny and Mace had a way better love story than Lenny and Faith. Yeah, well, that's because Lenny and Faith wasn't a love story. (laughs) (laughs) It was an angst story. Yeah, it was. Mm, Actually, it kind of reminds me of past relationships. I think I'll move on. Let's (laughs) see. um, Chump. (laughs) Oh, man, cheer up. World's going to end in 10 minutes anyway. You must be so pleased. (laughs) I mean, I followed your jelly bean trail right here like a good little chump. Uh, You got froggy on me a couple times. Yeah, I remember that riff about the death squad? That was pretty good. I had to keep it from well, going to the cops. You know, I've heard stuff about a death squad. The issue isn't whether you're paranoid, Lenny. I mean, look at this shit. The issue is whether you're paranoid enough. So there never was a death squad? No. Just those two loose cannon cops are running around covering their butts. Pretty zany, huh? All this shit caused by a random traffic stop, huh? Again, a comment on society at that point. Uh, yeah, which was you know pretty heavy-handed in this. Yeah. Are you guys ready to do the final thing? The thing that gets you guys all yeah. out the door for the evening? We can do the thing. They'll do the thing? Okay. Um, let's do the thing. I got the thing. Uh, Are you the ready for theme it? here. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Rich? Okay. I am struggling with a thumbs down here, but. I am going to roll with, um, it's weird, it is a long movie. It is a really long movie. It is a long movie set in basically the same setting scene for the entirety of the movie. So we're not, you know, scene jumping like you do in some other types. And it's the same, it's the same series of stories coming together. On the other hand, it was poetic in the way that you really couldn't cut anything and still tell the full story. Maybe if I had my druthers and if we were to do it again now, I would be happier with this as a six hours of a series. You know, 45 minute or hour stories. I'm down. Thumbs up. I love Mace. I love everything about Mace. And her character kept me grounded in reality with hope in a story filled with not hope. Because she seemed to be the only person that seemed to get it. (laughs) So I loved her for that. This movie is a long story. So many mixed parts. So many great lines. So many little things that are clues to grander things with a deep dive story that's in it that tells a very intense and incredible story that kept my attention in a way that most stories don't. I enjoyed this movie when I first watched it. Watching it critically, I enjoy it even more. I know I'm going to kill some people. I'm giving it five stars. My heart. (laughs) Did you just say five stars? Yes, Yes, out of five. Yes, he did. Solidarity, my brother. Uh, Vanessa, your rebuttal. I'm going to start with my thumbs up because it's a really short list. Angela Bassett. She was the only character that had any development, and it was still not a lot. (laughs) Small arch. But the character that she played was a limousine driver that was also like a bodyguard, and she did that part really, really well. She bodyguarded the shit out of Lenny. Now, who knows what happened (laughs) to her client that she dropped off at club whatever and then never saw again. But, I mean, she might not have a job anymore. (laughs) Well, she doesn't have a limo anymore. Yeah, kind of. That's true. Point, huh? <laughs> that 
That's true. But her limo was definitely bullet resistant. <laughs> so that's that's my thumbs up. My thumbs down. Lenny had no character development. Faith had no character development. Max, predictable as shit as the bad guy. Philo, I wanted to punch every single time he was on the screen. He was an asshole. And the setting, like, we had the same kind of feel through the entire movie, but it still felt kind of stunted in the transitions, in my opinion. They they shot, like, this entire movie at night, too. Which didn't help. To get that aesthetic. And it really kind of, I think it kind of drains the energy out of it in a lot of ways. It's hard to maintain This is a movie that takes place over the course of two days, and we never see day. Right, yeah. no. It it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. On top of that, like, the dude sleeps once, but no one else seems to sleep because the crowd always has a billion people. Like, I, I don't know what people do. They Do they just not sleep? I, to be fair, I did spend a lot of time not sleeping in the 90s. <laughs> this I was spent also a lot of New time Year's not Eve. sleeping now, but at the same time. This is also New Year's Eve. Uh, but I, I don't stay up for two and, days straight. I stay up till midnight and my, then I go to sleep. I did a lot <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> I was going to say, my one experience in L.A., I would find it easy to believe that uh, that's pretty much what you'd see, especially coming up on an event like the turn of the millennium. Uh, that that was extremely believable to me. I two days though. I'm trying to remember I mean, the turn of the millennium. <laughs> I do remember sleeping um, between rushes to the grocery store at gunpoint to buy every bottle of water <laughs> you could possibly find. I don't remember. No. Turn of the century. I remember Return of the Millennium. I remember that we set off fireworks and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Watching New Year's in Australia. We did too and the people who were setting them off were drunk as shit standing over the fireworks trying to light other fireworks and so I was clear on the other side of that driveway. But as far as the movie goes, I if I ever see this movie again, it is too soon. I, in fact, never want to see this movie again. It is getting one half of a star. <laughs> and this isn't even wow. me touching the rape scene. We're, we're just not even going to touch it. Interesting. Jason? Thumbs up. Yeah, that's a requirement here, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I kind of liked their selling Jesus. Oh, the song? Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Good song. That was... I that, guess- that, 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 that I could send you that, some more skunk and Nancy if you like. Good stuff. I didn't like it that much, but it was <laughs> the best part of the movie. <laughs> the only part of the movie that was even remotely enjoyable. I didn't like Mace. I think she should have dumped Lenny on his butt long before she did. Oh, yeah. And she ended up not. She ended up, she should have punched him when he kissed her and said, you lost your chance. Any respect I had for Mace went out the window when she returned the kiss. This movie was dark this movie was morbid this movie was showing the mind of a twisted mind in a way that i can only assume came from a twisted mind i've lost respect for anyone involved in this movie because it is nasty and evil and i am so glad my parents weren't here to watch it i felt bits of my soul die for the watching of it If it was not for the podcast, I would have turned it off at least a dozen times that I didn't, that I said, no, I'm going to stick it out. It's got to get better than this eventually, or no one would have possibly recommended it. Thank you for listening to our final episode of Exposition Street. (laughs) Oh, no, I'll I'll be back. I'll I'll be back. Not if Eric's recommending the movies. next week. (laughs) 
we're, we're, we're doing a movie I'm, I'm interested in next week. I get that everybody has their own opinions. It is what it is. And, you know, the beautiful thing about opinions is when in certain aspects of opinion, in matters of taste... Everyone has one and no one is wrong. I'm not saying the people that enjoy this movie are wrong. I'm saying that I didn't in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I did not enjoy this movie so much, I would like to go back and retrofit previous ratings of movies up half a star to make the zero that I am giving this movie mean something. Because I gave Terminator zero stars because I didn't find it enjoyable at all. I would watch it twice a day, every day, for the rest of my life if it meant I never had to think about this movie again. Horrible. That is, that is a statement. Nasty. I, it gets zero stars. It deserves less. End of story. Oh, that's my part, isn't it? I'm sorry. I was trying to get the CPR machine to work. It's not I'm turning <laughs> on. Um, so, uh, kid, my I, my prized I show is, has become a. Uh, <laughs> I it, it, I don't know if I want to go after that. That's, I, <laughs> I I'm glad I don't have to. I'm just, <laughs> I, I I can't I kind of I can't decide though whether I prefer to be able to go after that knowing what I'm going to be dealing with over what Richard had to do and go first and sit here and wince every time Jason said something because now he cannot help but feel judged. <laughs> I'm not judging anyone else's opinion. This is my opinion. I like the fact that he's lost all respect for anybody involved in making the movie. And fortunately, I dodged the bullet on that one. <laughs> Wow. Um, so a couple of things to say. My thumbs up. Um, about halfway through the movie, I uh, I realized that this really felt like a sociological deconstruction. You know, everything exaggerated to make it stand out and easy to draw the lines, connect the dots, figure out the interactions uh, so you can really take the thing apart and see how it works. And from that perspective, I actually found it fascinating how accurately it felt to me they had created this simulation for the purposes of this movie. Because this is entirely simulated. This isn't based off a real story. Someone made this shit up. And I was just really struck by how well I felt like they did that. That's to say nothing about the actors' portrayals of their roles or, you know, how people brought the... the uh, setting to life or failed to do so. That's just looking at it kind of from a meta broad stroke perspective. It had that impression on me. And uh, in a similar vein, this technology, this squid technology that they're using completely sci-fi uh, techno babble bullshit thing. Uh, if that technology existed, I felt like they did an amazing job. And by they, I, I should put back up now because I now know who wrote this. This was James Cameron. I felt like he did an amazing job of predicting the model that we would see as this technology moved into society. Um, it's not surprising, probably. In fact, it seems to feel so natural. I'm not sure how many viewers even took into consideration that someone had to imagine where this would go and how it would end up. But uh, those those were definitely the biggest takeaways for me that I like. Uh, the other things I enjoyed about the movie have already been touched on by at least one person only, exactly one person. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to go into those again. <laughs> My thumbs down. Um, I mentioned that uh, we got to a point in the movie where I said, this is the point at which there's only one person in this entire movie I want to see alive at the end. Um, now, another person managed to, I won't say redeem himself, but at least 
bring himself to the point that I couldn't hate him enough to hate that he didn't die. I was disappointed, but I didn't hate that he didn't die. Um, and other than that, there was the police commissioner, I guess, the cardboard 2D cutout who managed to surprise and impress me by actually being the straight cop that uh, Lenny claimed he was because there was a while there while I doubted that. Um, but other than that, the characters in this movie did not impress me. In fact, in a lot of cases, they depressed me. Um, I I like to avoid movies that make me kind of fall into my kill all human zone because that's not a place I want to spend a lot of time. It's not good for me. More importantly, it's not good for humans. So I don't try to spend a lot of time there and movies like this can't help but kind of drag me down into that. And uh, I did not remember anything about this movie. I know you're right that I had seen it before way back in the day, Eric, uh, but nothing at any point in the movie actually struck me as as something I remembered having seen before. Uh, that being said, I'm hoping that I will once again be able to say that at some point in the future, because while I didn't find the movie as despicable or hateful as at least one of our panelists did, I also did not find it a fantastic viewing experience. In fact, at the end of everything, I found myself just kind of meh about the whole thing. So I'm going to drop my rating pretty much right in the middle of the scale and give it to an app star. Interesting. I will say that one of the things that I find fascinating about what you mentioned about him imagining the technology and how it affected is this is all pre-internet too. I mean, the movie is supposed, oh, yes. to play, supposed to take place in 1999 and you notice there was no mention of the internet because that hadn't really been conceived in the form that we knew it in 1999 when they were making this movie. Yeah, um, they nobody saw that. Coming. So, I mean, it, if you think about it, what we've seen of the online world since its inception or this popularization, I guess I should say, gives us a lot of hints, you know, how addictive it can be and how, you know, how it affects us in various ways. But although that's, of course, becoming extreme at this point. And in fact, we couldn't even do this show without it. So there you go. Literally true. Five stars for me, Rich. I always have loved Strange Days. It's a movie that impacted me severely at the time for some reason. You're and trying it to has... make me and Jason cry. This is going to end up in the middle of the road movie. There was no <laughs> question going into this, I thought, that I loved this movie. That's fair. Um, it's one that I was excited to have the opportunity to put on the schedule, not so that I could make Jason feel like I had zero judgment left, but because I really thought it would make a good conversation. It, the, here's, here's what happens, guys. We have discovered that polarizing movies can be good for conversation, but when they are this polarizing, they actually, I think, make the show less enjoyable for the listener. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in that context, I I apologize. No, I, no, you shouldn't. I never. I, I picked the movie for your opinion. Yeah, and that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, we are presuming to be critical regarding movies. We are armchair critics. We're not professionals. Nobody's paying for this. But the reason we have five people on the show is because we get disparate opinions, we get disparate perspectives, and because largely they're going to always have a level of disparity. And you can go back and look at our averages, and I'm sure um, come up with a lot of middle of the road on that bell curve at this point. So, I mean, that's I think that's legitimate. The reason it becomes difficult when it's this polarizing is because if I've got nothing to do but praise and you got nothing to do but damn, we have no compromise on that conversation, you know? And so it's, it's, but it's okay. This is one of the reasons that Jason and I didn't want to do the show alone. <laughs> we knew this yeah. might happen a lot. <laughs> right. You know? So, so this has only become problematic when everybody else falls into one of those camps as well. Uh, as long as we continue to approach it with good humor, I'm sure our listeners will forgive us. Uh, and, you know, we do try to. 
Um, I didn't even think of that. Is this, this may be the only movie we've done in which I was the one person who didn't have a strong opinion about it. It could be. I don't know. I, I mean, Richard might be able to tell you. It might take a minute if it's, if it's worth it. But yeah, that, I mean, that would not be an easy thing to look up, but you could look it up. You were middle of the but line on craft and we hovered above and below. As I say, it's a question whether or not he was the only one, right? So yeah, there probably wouldn't be a lot and of those. Half of us were above, half of us were below him, and he was 2.5 on the craft. Okay. It is easy and to look at. And then you're but it's the same kind of thing. Was when you were the lowest at 2.5. So, so that's, that's not, not the same. same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're the detractor at two and a half stars, that's actually kind of impressive. Was Jason a three on that one? <laughs> yes. Okay, just <laughs> everybody checking. else was a five or something like that. No, wait, that wasn't right. Did no. They, oh, that wasn't the craft. What movie was that? No, you said you said on another one. Yeah, it was another one. I'm bring it up. But you know, the important thing is that you know we're going to have those opinions, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm not putting out there to make anybody feel bad. I'm putting it out there so the listeners understand that we understand. Yeah. You know, we're not discussing these movies beforehand. That's intentional, obviously. We want to come into it fresh. We don't want to color each other's opinions going in. It's unavoidable once the show starts. There's going to be a certain amount of color. And some of that is just a matter of, oh, we're having a discussion. Discussions mean new ideas come to light. And those ideas can influence each other's perspectives. And that's important. That's a conversation. You right. say, it, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I never want it. I I never want it to seem like I am crapping on you. No, no, I don't feel that. I'm way. not crapping no. on you. I'm, I'm not. I'm crapping hundreds on of miles away. So. <laughs> <laughs> but every every one of us knows you well enough to know that we would never take that that way. Even if you didn't go out of your way. To make it 100% clear, it would not be the first thing we jumped to. But here, this was 81 episodes in. I was more in. aiming that the listener knows that. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is, oh, because, yeah. This there's going to be people who love this movie and listen to the show and are like, Jason hates me. Uh, this is a horrible 81 episodes no in Richard. Have I ever, have we ever had another movie where I, cause I mean, it'd be really to look up how many easy look up how many movies Jason gives zero stars to one other, one other. Yeah. What was yeah. it? Do you remember? Uh, Terminator, uh, dark fate, dark yeah. fate. Um, which I did not, I did not know that I gave five stars to that one. I was wondering if there was any other movies that I gave five stars. Jason gave zero stars. I know well, it's never going to be one other movie. I gave a zero. So, I mean, that would be, uh, Oh, no, gave there a five it is. Dark Fate. You gave a five. I gave four and a half. Vanessa gave a five. Kid gave four and a half. And Jason just absolutely hated it. A Terminator? Everybody Dark loved that movie but me. And I was stunned the whole podcast because I thought I everybody that. was going to That's hate what it. You were like, did I watch I the right movie? Which you know, yeah, is a legitimate question because there's 17 the Terminator movies because... that all take place in different timelines. So you know, that's a legitimate question, dude. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, like like I said, if I could, I would go back and retroactively give that a half a star just to make the zero on this one more pow- powerful because that zero no longer means what it used to. Jason, my friend, how would you like a palate cleanser? <laughs> yes, I would I would very much like a palate cleanser. Next week, we're going to do a movie that you and I are both going to give a high rating to. I believe <laughs> We'll, we'll see uh, how that goes. We'll see how that goes. have been made. But Vanessa, movie, would you like to... Go ahead. I'm came, sorry. Go oh, ahead. Well, this movie I came forgot. to two we and a half stars over. Yeah, 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 yeah. This movie came to two and a half stars overall. So basically, um, if you're over 45, you might enjoy it as a noir film. If you're <laughs> under 45, find something else to do. I, I think they made some Hunger Game movies you might enjoy. Hunger <laughs> <laughs> Game was amazing. I would add to that just uh, on the side bit that 
if the irredeemable horribleness that humans are capable of is something that you feel viscerally about, you should never watch this movie. Oh, yeah. Because it, it really was pumping on my kill all humans, but yeah. I can't yeah, emphasize yeah, that. Yeah. It's a word for that. I keep forgetting it, though. I, I had it at the tip of my brain. Nobody in this movie was meant to grow. What's our next movie? A Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Yes! Sounds I'm so excited about this one. This will be fun. I don't even remember that's, it being an amazing movie just so much as I really enjoyed it. So we'll see what happens. That's so many planets, though. We'll give you the verdict next time on Exposition Street. Exposition Street.